0: I want you to take your Bibles and go over to Hebrews chapter 10. This morning we're going to be in verses 19 to 25. Grab that text and just hold it a moment as I introduce to you kind of where we're going over the next uh, couple weeks. We are going to be talking about the matter of worship. What does it mean for us to gather on Sunday morning? And how do we think about what we're doing even this morning? I got to tell you that one of the experiences that I like the least in life is perhaps one that you can relate to. Here's how it plays out. I went to bed tired, really tired. Pace of life was just too quick, too many things going on, and I hit the pillow exhausted. The alarm went off. I swing my feet out of bed and put them on the floor. I rub my eyes and I ask myself, what day is it? What am I supposed to do today? And then I suddenly realize I'm still tired. I went to bed tired and I'm still tired and then here it comes. Here's the thing that I, is really discouraging to me. The next thought in my mind is this. When can I get back in bed? <laughs> that is not a good way to start the day. It's reflective of both what's going on in my life and frankly it's kind of predictive of my attitude for the rest of the day. So when you woke up this morning it was Sunday, what were some thoughts that ran through your mind? Did you think, I don't even feel like I got an extra hour of sleep? Did you think, it's Sunday, hey, it's a, it's a day to watch football and can't wait to watch the Colts lose again? <laughs> Did you think, I got to get some groceries? Or what are we going to eat for breakfast? Or wonder how long it takes to be able to get our family out the door so we can get to church on time this week? So speaking of church, when, when you thought... In, in your mind and you realize, oh, it's Sunday and you're on your way to this gathering, what kind of thoughts ran through your mind? Were you excited that you got to go to church today? Or did you groan? Were you looking forward to what you would hear in the sermon? Did you wonder what kind of songs we would sing? Maybe you thought about the kind of people that you would meet. Maybe you thought about your favorite seat and the fact that somebody didn't get the memo that that's your seat last week. (laughs) Maybe you wondered about the temperature Or maybe the volume level. But the issue is this. When you think about corporate worship, what are your first thoughts? Because I'm here to tell you how you thought about worship when you first thought about it this morning is both reflective of what's been going on in your heart all week or maybe longer, and frankly, it's also kind of predictive as to what kind of perspective you would have as you come So this is one of many reasons why we're going to talk about this matter of worship over the next three weeks. For a while, I've been longing to explore this subject of corporate worship. Let me define terms. When I say corporate worship, I don't mean just what we sing. We'll look at that next week. This week, we're looking at the purpose of worship. Next week, we're going to talk about how and what should we sing. And then the third week, we're going to talk about how do you listen to preaching and what is the aim of preaching, along with the times that we'll spend together, I hope that you'll pick up our new small group study guide that we've produced. This is something that you can use in the context of your small group. Also, you can use it for family discipleship. There's even a, a teenage version of this in our junior high area. It'd be great for dads for you to walk your kids, sons and daughters, if they're teenagers, through. What does it mean to gather? Why, why do we go to church? So let me help you understand why we're looking at this subject give you four sort of paradoxical realities that inform coming to this discussion. Number one is this. Worship is ordinary and special. So the bottom line is it's Sunday. Worship takes place every Sunday. And for many of you, it's part of the normal rhythm of your life, part of the normal rhythm of your week, which is really a good thing. It's a good thing if Sunday happens and your kids don't ask, are we going to church today? If it's assumed. Ordinary worship is really, really helpful. But what you also have to realize is that while this is an ordinary experience, it also is very special. Can I just remind you that there's no gathering like this that you'll experience the rest of the week or last week. It's a very unique moment. So worship is ordinary and special. Secondly, worship is personal and corporate. At one level, we gather together and we're here to try and figure out, what does the Bible say to me? And Did I connect with the people that I know? And at one level, there's something really right about that. But here's the problem. The problem is that our culture prizes individualism, and increasingly, our society even designs experiences that are customized around your individual tastes. You know, don't you, that you're being conditioned to believe that everything should be tailored just the way you want, from your Spotify list, to your feed uh, on your Instagram account, or your Twitter account, your your Facebook friends and all the feeds that come through that from your go-to news channel or even think of your mobile ordering preferences. My goodness, I go to order something and it already knows what I want before I knew what I wanted. Go on Amazon and there's all the things that I normally would purchase and buy. So there is this reality that we're becoming increasingly familiar increasingly accustomed to customization. At the same time, you know what this gathering is about? It's not just about you, it's about us. Which is why the Bible uses corporate language over and over to describe what this gathering is all about. It uses language like temple and building and household and chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation from the book of 1 Peter, and a body. So what you need to know is that while the church is made up of individuals, there's something bigger going on than just you and the people you know gathering. There's an expression here that is really significant, something that, candidly, is unlike anything you've done all week long. It is personal and it's corporate. Third, worship is inward and outward. Worship creates a heart orientation. It's part of the spiritual formation process. In other words, it it shapes us. What you sing, how you listen, how you greet one another, like that shapes your understanding of the world. In fact, it informs appetites. Which is one of the reasons why I'm passionate to have children in the context of worship. Because by watching their parents worship and by listening to sermons, even sometimes that are above their heads or knowing the songs that are familiar for the community of Christ, the appetites of children are shaped. We point them as to what they ought to love. That happens for every one of us every single week. But worship is not just about shaping us in our hearts, it's also about shaping us as we leave. Because worship and mission are absolutely linked together. Meaning that the joy of meeting with God means that you leave and are now inclined to talk about the work of God in the world. You're inclined to be able to make it through suffering. You're empowered to endure and just to make it another week. That worship is not just about what you receive, it's also about where you're sent. And then finally, worship is both unifying and controversial. There's something amazing about people from all walks of life gathering together under the banner of Jesus. There's there's just nothing like it as people from different socioeconomic groups and different backgrounds and different opinions, as they greet one another, as they Give of their financial resources as they pray and listen and respond together, they identify that there's something more powerful than just us as individuals. Friends, there's something unbelievably gospel centered when, according to Brett McCracken, listen to this, we refuse to let our preferences get in the way of our participation. When that happens, it makes a powerful statement. But I'm also sure that it's no surprise to you that Sunday morning gatherings and worship can be controversial. There's a reason why somebody coined the phrase, worship wars, and I've lived through my share of them. Let me say from the outset that the reason we're talking about this discussion is not because we have a crisis or a problem on our hands regarding Sunday morning gatherings, but the reality is, our world, our culture, and our church is changing. And this is what we do together every week. And so I've wanted to talk about this for a while. Why do we do this? And how do we do this? So that we can figure out how we can display the gospel even better to the world. There are some trends. Here's a couple. First, our church is changing. People are coming to our church from different walks of life than have come when I first started here in 2008. There isn't a singular group that now comes to our church. We have more people who are coming that are seeking to have conversations about the gospel. We have people coming from a broad array of church backgrounds and experiences, some who come from high churches, some who come from very conservative churches, some who come from very progressive churches, and the fact remains is that when all of us come, we come with fears. Some of you left churches that you're nervous that if we'd ever become that, and that informs how you think about Sunday. We have expectations. You experience some real great meeting with the Lord, and then you think every church ought to be just like that to replicate that great moment. Or we somehow think that this broad array of preferences is something that isn't good. It's wonderful, but it's challenging. So our church membership is changing. Secondly, our church culture is, or our, our our culture around us rather, is changing. In terms of how we communicate, style of preaching has changed in the last 10 years. What people wear to church has changed. The kind of music that we sing has changed. The kind of environment, it's not the same as it was even five to six years ago. So things are changing. This we'll talk about next week. They've always been changing. Just put yourself in any period of church history and just choose what controversy you want because there's always controversy as it relates to Sunday morning gatherings. And then here's the other thing. Our church model is changing. So as we launch new congregations, it's exciting to see the Lord multiply us out and for us to start new congregations like at Fishers and Castleton. We're in the middle of couple conversations right now that at our congregational meeting, I hope to be able to share with you about a, a renewed vision for what this looks like and opportunities that keep coming our direction that are just unbelievable. The opportunity to take our people and to plant them into locations where they can contextualize the gospel and reach their neighbors in closer proximity, that's awesome. But there's a downside. The downside is, is that that model could actually be a place where people end up joining the new congregation because they want a church more to their liking. Because smaller, they think, is better, or because it's a little more unplugged. Instead of thinking, it as this is my opportunity to reach my neighbors, we could accidentally, in our next-door mission, feed right into a consumer mentality. So, for all these reasons, this is an important subject for us to talk about, and I think it would be good for us just to take a step back and think for three weeks, why is Sunday important? What's the purpose? That's what we're talking about today. What's the purpose of why we're here. So, you're in Hebrews 10. Why do we gather for worship? Now, we're dropping into a book. We don't have any context. Not gonna spend a long time on this at all. Essentially, you need to know, Hebrews was written in the first century. It's written to a group of people who are starting to feel the looming clouds of opposition. If you wanna know the central text of Hebrews, just read chapter 12, verses one to three. The book is filled with some of the strongest warnings in the New Testament. It's also filled with some of the most eloquent statements about the supremacy of Christ. In fact, in the chapters that precede our text this morning, chapters eight, nine, and 10, you can't find many passages that consistently exalt the beauty of who Jesus is more than Hebrews eight, nine, and 10. And immediately following this, this, this elevated view of Christ, the writer of Hebrews then turns to this matter of the gathering of God's people. Look at verse 25. Let me show you exactly where I see this, and then we're gonna back up and look at the rest of it. It says, after all these things, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So after everything about Christ, there is this important gathering of God's people that apparently they were neglecting. So why do we gather on the Lord's Day? Let me try and make this really clear. We gather on the Lord's Day for two reasons. Let me show these to you in the text. We gather to rehearse the gospel, and we gather to respond to the gospel. We gather to rehearse the gospel, to remind ourselves what is the gospel, to celebrate the gospel, to make the gospel clear, and then we also gather in order to respond to the gospel. So let me unpack those two points. First, When we gather, we are gathering for the purpose of rehearsing the gospel. What do I mean by the gospel? I mean this. It's simple, that Jesus saves sinners. That's the gospel. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you want to know what Christianity is all about, you boil everything down, it comes down to this central, singular truth. Jesus saves sinners. We're sinners. We need a savior. His name is Jesus. Or, here's how I've said it before, God is holy, I'm not. Jesus saves, Christ is my life. That's the essence of what the gospel is. So we rehearse this. So, what are the ways that we rehearse it? Look at verse 19. He says, Therefore, brothers, since, so there's this this focus on since these things that we've heard, how do we need to think? And we rehearse, first and foremost, that we have spiritual confidence to meet with God. Verse 19 says, Since we have confidence to enter the holy places. So, When we rehearse the gospel, here's what we're celebrating. We're celebrating that we have access, we have spiritual confidence to be able to meet with God. This word confidence carries carries the idea of sort of an authorization or boldness when you're in an intimidating moment. So think, for instance, when you were in a situation where you said, like, pinch myself, I can't believe I'm here, and you're nervous, you don't know what to do, do I stand, do I sit, do I say something, maybe maybe you were in the presence of somebody famous, or an opportunity that you just didn't know that you were going to be given. When I I think of this, I I think of what happened to my boys and me in 2009. When we decided to come here, I told three crying boys on a couch that it was going to be okay. Okay. And they were like, it's not gonna be okay, there's no forts, all our friends are here, this is awful, and I was like, no, the Lord's in this, promise you, there's gonna ways that you're gonna grow, and I'm telling you, the Lord's gonna bless you in ways you can't even imagine what's gonna happen. Well, every once in a while, I like to remind them of that in moments like what happened in 2009. 2009, there was a coach for the Colts, and he invited us to come to the AFC Championship game against the New York Jets. My wife was sitting with his wife, and we were up in some seats where we could see the game, and the Colts won. (laughs) (laughs) That actually happened, all right? So they won, and there was this huge celebration on the field, confetti, you know, they won the AFC championship. And I get this text from my wife, and it says, um, hey, Clyde would like you to come down to the field. I was like okay. So I'm coming down to the field, made it through security. I'm standing on the field. We're talking, taking pictures, everything else. The party kind of wrapped up. He goes, hey, you know what? Come with me. Like, all right. So we walked with him, myself, Joseph, Hayden, Jeremiah. Next thing I know, we're, we're walking underneath Lucas Oil Stadium. There's really big guys with cleats walking next to me. I'm like, where are we going? Turned right, and suddenly I'm in the locker room. And like, I'm the only one, like, we're not... I, I'm, I'm pretty sure we're not supposed to be there. In fact, I hope no one gets in trouble by me telling this illustration. And uh, so there was a few reporters, things of that sort. And all of a sudden, Caldwell gathered the whole team together. <clears throat> and he said, all right, take a knee. And I was like, all oh, right, wow, I'm taking a knee. I'm getting down. <laughs> so uh, I'm keeping my head down. And, and then uh, while I had my head down, I was like, snap, snap, snap. <laughs> like, <so> this." <laughs> And then I texted my brother-in-law. He's like, so while I was talking about the game and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, I'm texting my brother, you are not going to believe where I am. I texted him, and he said, you lie. And I said, here you go, and showed him. We weren't supposed to be there. As we walked out, I said to my boys, hey, guys. Do you remember that little speech I gave you? Like, we know the speech. Who, who, who wants to give us the speech? Oh, we know, Dad, there's things in Indianapolis that we're gonna get to do that we da, 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 da. and that moment was not only a fulfillment of sort of the faith-filled promise that I had made to them, but it was also a moment that was really special because we had been given access to something that not only did we not deserve, but we probably shouldn't have even been there. You know the feeling? Well, the idea is this, you've been given confident access and it's not that you shouldn't be there, it's that Jesus made it possible for you to be there. And as a result, you have bold confidence to come in. So when we rehearse the gospel, you know what we do? We rejoice in the fact that we have this new level of confidence to come into God's presence. We remind ourselves about the unbelievable privilege of what it means to be able to be together under the beautiful gaze of God. Is that how you came this morning? Did you come with a sense of anticipation, a sense of enthusiasm and excitement? I get to meet with God's people in the house of God. Or when you heard that it was Sunday, did you groan? Not only do we have spiritual confidence, we also have a permanent sacrifice. Look at verse 19b, it says, we are entered the holy places by the blood of Jesus. So the whole reason that we're here is only because of what Christ has done. So that we're reminded, not only that this atonement It's not something that human beings can achieve, but that reconciliation only happens because of the blood of Jesus. So rehearsing the gospel means, it's a crazy thing, we rejoice in what we couldn't do. So when you come on Sunday, one of your thoughts has to be, I couldn't do this. It's not about me. It's about Christ, it's about him, and what he has done for me. It also means then that we have a new relationship with God look at verse 20 by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain now the writer of Hebrews is using all types of old testament worship metaphors curtain blood holy place but in this case the curtain he says is through his flesh meaning that Jesus when he dies he, he grants us access and we have a new relationship with our creator in the Old Testament, this was called the New Covenant. It was this beautiful hope that one day, God would take all the disobedience of the people of Israel and he would give them a new heart, a heart that wanted to obey, a heart that when they heard the word of God said, yes, I love that, as opposed to, that's oppressive. A heart that would say, I, I love you, a heart that is, Jesus, in Jesus' words, was, was born again. You see, when the church gathers, what we do is we rehearse the fact that Jesus changed us. We rehearse the fact that it's the same you, it's the same person, but there's something fundamentally changed within you. You are, you're different because of Christ. And that's the thing, friend, if you're here today and you're not yet a Christian, you know what Jesus does? He changes the part of you that you can't get to. You can change jobs, states, relationships, substance. The reality is eventually you're going to run into a wall realizing there is something that I cannot touch. And that's where Christ comes in. He changes you so fundamentally that there's this new and living way. And then fourth, there's this living advocate. Verse 21, it says, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, meaning that this very moment, as we're gathering here, Christ is seated there. As we gather in worship, we rehearse that Christ is our victor. We rehearse that he understands. So you may carry a huge burden coming into worship today and you may wonder, nobody in this room understands. And that may be true, but I'm telling you, Jesus understands. And when we come together as we worship, what we do is we celebrate who is really in control and who is really in charge. And we celebrate who will one day finally win the ultimate battle. We agree with the following lines of this hymn. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. Though my love is often cold, he must hold me fast. See, this is what we do. We rehearse the gospel when we gather. And why do we need to do that? Because all week long, we've listened to other gospels. We were told, I was told, you're the most important person in the world, Mark. My flesh told me that all week long. And I liked it. I want to believe that. The world tells us that you, your worth is based upon what you do or what you don't do, what you look like or what you don't like. Your value is based upon what other people think of you. Some of you, all week long, you've had to wrestle with what people think of you, and what does this text mean? There's no emoji, and what is this email really saying, and what do they mean by that? And when I walked into the church, they didn't smile, and you're consumed by this, all, this all-encompassing fear of man. All week long, those things have run through your soul. You've been tempted to find fulfillment and satisfaction and all kinds of other things. Listen, this moment... Is war. We wage war on those false gospels. Because as Zach Hicks says in the book, The Worship Pastor, all week long your flesh didn't just stumble into sin, it worshiped its way into sin. Oh, don't make the mistake of thinking that you haven't worshiped till you've come this morning. No, 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 no. We've worshiped all week long. The question is not if, but who we've worshiped. So Sunday is designed to go after these false gospels. And on Sunday, the rehearsal of the gospel assaults these battle zones. Again, Zach Hicks says worship pronounces the end of our attempts at self-justification and puts a stop to our self-salvation projects by declaring Christ as the only one who can justify us before God It proclaims death to the old Adam in us who desperately wants to stand before God on his own two feet and present his own works as worthy of God's pleasure. This moment tells us Jesus paid it all. The fact of the matter is the gospel says you can be made new, but in order to do so, you must die. So friends, we need worship because we need to be reminded of what's true And the purpose of worship is to rehearse the gospel. So as we plan for Sundays, we think about what we're going to do, we think about the gospel. How do we rehearse the gospel? And then when we meet to evaluate Sunday, we think about it through that lens. How do we do it in terms of rehearsing the gospel? Through a variety of means and forms and spoken word and and music and all the things that are involved in terms of Sunday morning. The goal is to rehearse the gospel because worship is a war of remembrance. We must remember the gospel. But that's not just it. We don't just rehearse the gospel. Here's the second point, and that is that we then also respond to the gospel. If the gospel is indeed true, then we must do something with it. So what is the connection between the truth of the gospel and then what happens here on Sunday? Because we don't just rehearse the gospel, we also respond to the gospel. In fact, you can see this in verses 22 through 25. Take your finger and put it on these three words verses. Verse 22, there's three let us statements. Here's the first one, let us draw near. Next one, verse 23, let us hold fast. Next one, verse 24, put your finger on it, let us consider. When you're studying the Bible, it's one of the ways, look for those patterns. There's three commands. Let us, let us, let us. So What's being commanded here? What are we called to do? Let me try and make this simple. We are called to come, we are called to cling, we are called to consider. Come, draw near, cling, hold fast that confession, consider how to care for one another. When he says come, this is a divine invitation. This word draw near, oh, I wish we had time to fully unpack it. It's used in sacred moments. It was used when Abraham sought the Lord for the deliverance of Sodom and Gomorrah. It says he drew near. When the Old Test- in the Old Testament, when the, the Ten Commandments were given and the Israelites gathered around Mount Sinai, they, they drew near. When they gathered around the tabernacle, it says that they, draw near, they drew near to the tabernacle. And even the word church in the New Testament, the word church in Greek is ekklesia. It means the called out ones. So today, we are the church. You've been called out of your homes. You've been called out of your neighborhoods. And you come and you gather. So draw near has this worship context and what's more if we were to dig a little deeper into the meaning of the word you would find that it means to continually come so no matter how old you are how long you've been a Christian even if you're not a Christian no matter how many years it's been no matter how far you've wandered no matter what it was that you did last week or last night the invitation is come draw near and what an unbelievable invitation that is He says, let us draw near, notice, with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, you know what that means? It means that you come, and even though you've done wrong things, even though you did wrong things last week, the gospel is pronounced over you, you embrace this truth, and you come, not because you're clean, but because you're cleansed by the blood of Jesus, You come not because you haven't doubted all week, but because you fundamentally trust in Christ in your doubts. It means you come to worship not because you were perfect last week, but because you trust in a Savior who is and was perfect for you. You don't come to see your friends to sing songs or to hear a message from your favorite preacher. No, you come because you are meeting with God. You're drawing near to him. You don't come as some church shopper. You come as a cleansed sinner. And you don't come so you can get something out of the service. You come because of what already has been done for you. And let me tell you, if you understand this and if you believe the gospel, then you must come. You can't not come. Corporate worship is vital to your soul. Without it, your spiritual strength and vitality will falter. The fact of the matter is, is if you're not engaged in a corporate gathering with God's people and that's just the standard fare of your life, I don't know how you really understand what the gospel really is. And let me press that a little bit further. You know, it used to be that somebody would call a church home if they were there two or three Sundays a month. That trend has completely changed. Now, our culture, we call a church a church home if we're there once a month. And the fact of the matter is, is because of the pace of life, because of the nature of the schedules, and because of a host of things that frankly are a bit concerning, church and engagement and involvement is on the decline as people look at church as an optional thing. And I just want to remind you, what we do here on Sunday morning is vital for your soul. You're gone from this place for a number of weeks in a row, and I promise you, your soul is going to begin to tank. You're going to believe the wrong gospels. You're going to believe the narrative inside your own head, and your assurance will begin to falter because assurance is a community Sunday. morning project we come together because what happens as we come is then secondly we're able to cling to our confession he says in verse 22 let us draw near and in verse 23 let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful This is the beautiful thing. Sunday morning reminds us that our confession is not based upon our faithfulness. It's based upon Jesus' faithfulness. The gathering of God's people gives us assurance, and it gives us strength to face another week. It means that as you gather together with God's people, as you hear the word taught, as you sing, as you're encouraged by meeting together, it helps you when you're suffering it reminds you that when you hear a false gospel, you'll hear a false gospel this week very differently because of having been here. And for that matter, by gathering together, your heart will be strengthened. You will hold fast like you wouldn't have held fast had you not come. A couple of weeks ago, I was standing right over there, standing next to Alan Bunch, one of our missionaries, former soldier, former firefighter on his way to Dubai. And he was singing so wonderfully, I stopped. I just stood there and listened to Alan Bunch sing. So don't ever stand next to me in corporate worship because I might listen to you. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll tell you, as he was singing, with all of his might, my heart was encouraged. I could have sung, and I wanted to at one level, but I wanted to hear him because his singing actually helped me that as he believed. I believed. As truth is affirmed, it strengthens your soul. And in those moments when you come in the corporate gathering of God's people and you wonder, is this really true? Is this really legit? Like, do I really? And then you hear something singing and you're like, no, that's true, I believe that. And you leave strengthened for another week and then it begins to leak and you gather again and your heart is strengthened. That's why to neglect the assembling of God's family together has a negative impact on your assurance. Some of you, you struggle right now about whether or not you're genuine and part of the reason is because you're not present very often. Try and go it on your own. And then when you get in trouble, oh, then you show up. And when you show up, we'll be here and welcome. But maybe, just maybe, the treadmill of that inconsistency needs to stop. Others of you, when you come to worship, you hold fast, not necessarily your confession, no, you're more characterized by holding fast to your preferences. Oh, it can happen so easy. Instead of a confession, Cynicism begins to set in. C.S. Lewis in Screwtape Letters says that the church can actually become an ally of the enemy. He says this, for a new convert, all you need to do is get the new Christian to fixate on other people in the pews, especially those who have squeaky boots and double chins and who sing off key. The more unattractive and unimpressive the members of the church appear to the Christian, the more cynical he can be, or he will be, toward the local church itself. And the more cynical he becomes toward the local church, the more cynical he becomes about Christianity as a whole. Brothers and sisters, that's straight up true. And not just because C.S. Lewis said it. (laughs) It's true because there's some of you who, if you're honest, there's like you're not holding fast to your confession, you're holding fast to your cynicism. When you woke and put your feet on the floor and you thought about Sunday, an attitude began to come over your soul that looked something like this. Go ahead and try and lead me. And because of your background, because of your experience, maybe maybe because of your frustration over particular things, it's moved from not just a, hey, can we talk about this, to not only do I not like this, but now I've got a barrier between me and God. So friends, can we just come to worship and be sure, do a little heart check and ask ourselves, am I clinging to my confession or am I clinging to my cynicism? And then finally, here's here's a remarkable thought from this text. Let us consider, verse 24, how to stir up one another to love and good works. This is Frankly, a surprising point about worship. The the writer says that our gathering should be particularly focused on how to stir up one another for love and good works. So we're commanded to consider, that word means special attention or deep concern, and that deep concern is for other people. So part of our mission is not just to hold fast to what we believe, but to hold fast to one another to be able to care for one another, to be able to celebrate the gospel and then to display the gospel in how we treat one another. No matter how many programs or how good our guest services is, no matter how hard we try as a staff, we'll never be able to create an environment where there's love and care for visitors, the outcast, or a person struggling if as a congregation you don't embrace your role in that as well. I'll have to stand before God and give an account for what type of culture we created, but so will you. And part of our aim in coming together is not just thinking about my own spiritual needs or my own particular desires or preferences, but also how can I display the gospel in terms of how I treat people and how I care for them. Listen to what Rick Warren says. The local church is the classroom for learning how to get along in God's family. It's a lab for practicing unselfishness, sympathetic love. As a participating member, you learn to care about others and to share the experiences of others. And only in regular contact with ordinary, imperfect believers can we learn real fellowship and experience the New Testament truth of being connected and dependent on one another. In other words, you need imperfect people in your church. And if you don't get that in your head, God's going to send you more of them. So that you're not, conv- so that you become convinced that church is not about me and my tribe and exactly what I want, because what apparently is happening that there are some that are forsaking the meeting together. For whatever reason, they're deciding, oh, we're not going to meet. Maybe they don't want to meet together. Maybe it's just not their thing. Maybe they don't like hanging around certain people. Maybe they're so busy. We don't know what the dynamic is. But the fact is, is they're not meeting together, or at least there's some. And so the writer of Hebrews says, let us consider how to stir up one another, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near." In other words, the world is a dangerous place for your soul. You, you can't not come. So let me ask you if this shoe fits. Do you find convenient ways to neglect the meeting of God's people on Sundays? Does it like have to be perfect in order for you to come here? Do you have to have like nothing going on Saturday You've got all your things taken care of. You've got great margin in your life because church at the end of the day is an optional thing as opposed to a really important thing. How does that relate as well to a small group? Part of the value of a small group is that you're meeting with people on a regular basis and you don't necessarily get to choose what the topic is or what people are gonna be like and you're thrown into the middle of a group where you have to figure out how to do life with imperfect people, both at a corporate level and at a smaller level. Some of you don't wanna be in a small group because you like controlling your groups. You don't want to deal with annoying people. And I get it. I don't wanna deal with you, right? (laughs) But the fact of the matter is it's good for your soul to have to deal with annoying people. You can get in the car and say praise God for those annoying people, I love them so much. That's the church and it's good for your soul. So find some annoying people and get together with them? Secondly here, does your your schedule reflect the prioritization of the church? Listen, in the midst of a suburban culture with so many opportunities, so many things that your kids could be involved in, at some point you have to stop chasing the rabbit around the ring that your neighbors are and realize that what you do here is important for their sake and for your soul. Is your heart in the right place when you come to worship? When you came this morning, was your heart ready? Did you pray, think, any sense of anticipation? Or did your heart come with, mm, good luck? Does your generosity in terms of time and money say the right thing about how you view this gathering? I mean, this doesn't happen by accident. Somebody paid for these lights so you could be here. And hey, let me be blunt, so you come week after week after week and never give to make this thing a reality? That says something. Are you not a receiver of the benefits of the beauty of what it means for us to be together? Do you look for people to care for when you are present? Even for those of us who are introverts, I know that after we connect with five or six people, we have to go home and take a nap. I get that. It's exhausting, right? And I know you'd rather prefer a one-on-one conversation over coffee, coffee at Starbucks, I hear you totally, but you can step out of your box and connect with people. And if you're an extrovert, you don't get off the hook because you have to take conversations from a standard happy, hi, how are you, to get below the surface because simply being friendly doesn't count. So in light of this, let me challenge you to do three things. Number one, let me ask you, church, to prepare. Would you take some time to prepare for the Lord's Day over the next number of weeks? Would you be sure that your schedule is not so full that you're exhausted by the time you come? Listen, the battle for a right heart on Sunday begins with what time you go to bed on Saturday. Let me encourage you to be prepared for the Lord's Day. When our kids were little, we used to have their clothes all lined out in the hallway. its shoes and socks and pants and shirt. My goodness, it looked like the rapture happened up in our upstairs bedroom. <laughs> and we did that because we found that the devil didn't drop into the choir loft. No, he dropped in the sock drawer in our home. And nothing would ruin a morning like our inability to find socks. And so we changed that. Would you pray as you come? Would you be ready to engage your heart, pray for our singing, pray for the sermon, and would you just please not take for granted what happens here every Sunday? Secondly, not only prepare, would you engage? Would you consider how you might be more engaged on the Lord's Day, whether it's how you talk to people, how you look for guests, finding a way to serve. We have so many needs in the context of even having Sunday morning happen, and we need the help, and you need to serve to engage with what it means to be all in, to sing robustly with the songs you like and the songs you don't. To realize that if any of us designed everything that happened, our church would be very small if it was just up to us. If I designed every element of this morning worship service, the church would be about 50 people, and my dog probably wouldn't even come. (laughs) This day is different, and therefore we ought to be all in. And then third, would you share? Would you think about what you might say as you're heading home today? When you ask your kids what their children's ministry experience was like, don't stop it. was it fun? Ask them what they learned. Talk about the sermon around the lunch, uh, the, the lunch table this afternoon. Try and get to the level, what was God saying? And then, oh please, please, as you go out into the marketplace, be sure people know that Sunday was amazing I met with God and I learned some things. And let the joy of your enthusiasm and the excitement of what you've learned become the platform upon which then we are able to invite people. Nobody wants to come to church when you project that it's lame. But instead to realize I have now received and I am thrilled to be able to give. Look, at the end of the day, Sunday morning is about. It's about rehearsing the gospel. It's about responding to the gospel. It's about coming. It's about clinging. It's about considering. And it begins when you take your feet out of bed and you put them on the floor and the first thoughts that run through your mind about Sunday, what are they? And my hope is that we'll be able over the next couple of weeks to begin to change our thinking about what Sunday is to be reminded, friends, we have the gospel, we have something to rejoice in and we have one another, a gathering like nothing else throughout the course of the week. This is the church, the beautiful bride of Christ. This is worship. So let's do this for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to pour out now your blessing upon us in terms of both conviction where we need it and comfort where we need it. We thank you that there is a, um, Lord, there's just a, a beautiful ability to come to you for grace, and we all need it at so many levels. So, Would you help us to rehearse the gospel, even in this moment, for ways in which we have failed, ways in which a cynical spirit can develop, ways in which we can take things for granted, or ways that we can just become arrogant in how we think about Sunday. So give us all, all of us, myself included, grace to see the bigger picture. And help us even now as we respond to you, in Jesus' name, amen.